Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Father, tonight, we cry out to you again. We acknowledge our need for you again, God. Father, we don't want desperation to be a song, but we want it to be the posture of our heart tonight, God. Father, we come here recognizing that every week we seek you. For there are some, God, that have come here this afternoon not very clear about where they are at with you. But it was no coincidence that they came tonight because there's something on the inside of them drawing them closer And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that tonight you would speak to where we're all at. Father, we know that each of us, in our own journey, God, we are trying to figure things out. And there are many heavy loads that we walked in here tonight with. Some of us are trying to figure out who we are. And some of us are trying to forget the past. And some of us are trying to figure out our future. But all of us have been created by you. And the Bible says that in Ecclesiastes that eternity has been placed in our hearts. So there's something about you we can't shake. We want to know you, God. And some of us can't even form the words to figure out who you are. And yet, we may not know you, but you know us. And so to, to know ourselves, we must know you. To understand the work of art, you must know the artist. And so, God, we pray that tonight we'd know you more we press our hearts in, not just our ears, not just our minds. Press our heart into the word tonight and meet us where we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm honored to have you all here this afternoon. Um, one of the great aspects of uh, growing up and uh, learning about who you are is that your mama probably told you that you could do anything, um, and that's not true. You can't do anything, but you are special, and you are unique, and you do have a unique DNA, so much so that there is no one on earth quite like you. One verse that has shaped my life, we don't have it up on the screen, but one verse that has shaped my life is Ephesians 2.10, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. And what that verse means is every person that has been created and crafted by God and comes into a relationship with him, he has a unique customized, specific work he's called only you to do. And no one else can do it quite like you. In fact, you are actually living beneath your calling if you're trying to pretend to be someone else. Because God has called you to be a voice, not an echo. He wants you to live out your reality. He wants you to live in submission to him, but on mission on earth. And you have a unique DNA, and you have a unique calling. And if that's the case for you as an individual, what happens when a collection of individuals get together like a church? Well, the fact of the matter is, as a church, we have a unique DNA. We have a unique calling. And we are not an echo, but rather we are a voice in Brooklyn. We do not attempt to be like anybody else. We don't want to be a carbon copy. We want to press, yes, we'll look at what other churches do, and yes, we'll figure things out, but we want to press into the Holy Spirit as much as possible to hear what is God telling us to do because we have a unique road and a unique journey. As many of you know, um, we sought to purchase or rather rent out a building in Flatbush, and um, that, that did not come about. 
and I appreciate all the, the phone calls and the text messages, and I got inboxed by a lot of people, and, and for those of you that did not inbox me, but you prayed, I appreciate all of that, and for those that you hated on me, I still love you. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is that I think our church realizes that we want to do great things for God, and we're not afraid, because I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think when you, do, when you attempt to do something great for God, I don't believe that that's failing. I believe that's leaning into what God wants for us. So I, we just don't have that in our economy. But I do appreciate your encouragement. But one of the things that I've realized after pastoring this church, we're going to reach four years on Easter. Praise God. Lift that up to the Lord. We're going to be reaching four years on Easter. I think we have some seats up front here. Um, I know there's something about being up front that's like, Scary, I guess. I guess that's harder. Maybe I spit some. I don't know what it is, but there's something about the front. The anointing's not in the front. The anointing's in the back. Um, but thank uh, you. Um, praise God. Praise God. Come on in. Um, but the, the but the reality is that one of the things I've learned in going into our fourth year as a church, one of the things that I long to get better at is to lead our church, not just in making disciples and growing people and trying different events and different things, but it is important that we always put on repeat our unique DNA. Just like it's important for you to know your unique story. Because if you don't tell yourself who you are, you will try to be someone else. And if I don't remind the church who we are, you will think we are someone else. Because I always get, you know, this, this church is doing this and this church is doing that. And you ought to try this. And th thank you for the information. But we are, we are on our own unique journey. And I am the, the unique pastor that God has placed here. One of the things, um, so tonight, um, as we, we're going to take a break from the book of Revelation. And I just think it's important. When we come into these moments when uh, we're making decisions and trying to figure things out, um, it's just good to cast vision again. And so, and just to hear the story, because one of the things I've realized is that as we've grown, not everybody knows our story, but more importantly, not every, some people don't even know me, which is okay. God, God loves you. Um, but but knowing, knowing why we started our church. You see our logo. I remember the night we got the logo back from the graphic designer. You know, a really cool story. Um, we had a graphic designer who was, designing for us that I've never met. He emailed me and said, I heard about your church. He lived in Indianapolis. And he emailed me and said, man, I'd love to come to your church. I heard it's great. And so he helped us design things early on. And then, um, but I never met him. And then he says, we're coming to Brooklyn in a month. And I was like, great. And then he says, man, God called us to move to Portland. I was like, word, okay, well, God bless you. This dude made all our designs at first. I've never met him. He might be an angel for all I'm concerned, <laughs> right? But God just, uh, you know, Danny Ortiz and Kemp and all these, I mean, God has just sent us all these incredible collection of creative people, and I think it's very unique and special. Well, when we made this first design of our logo, uh, one of the things that we talked about was wanting it to look different than just a bridge, but we still wanted people to know we are Bridge Church, and oftentimes, people don't even know why we're named Bridge Church. And so it's important that you know that. And it has nothing to do with the Brooklyn Bridge. I'm sorry. <laughs> people always assume that. That is not the case, although the Brooklyn Bridge is incredible. Uh, I pastored a church when I was 29 years old in Raleigh, North Carolina. It was a church that, uh, when I came into it, it had um, good... good <laughs> You had a good bunch of people in there. And we were trying to reach a community that was next to our church. And in attempting to reach that community, we wanted to, you know, do a bunch of bouncy houses. And we started to give out book bags. And we started to do all these great things so we could reach people. And I noticed something after two years of doing it. No one from the community, no matter what we did, would actually come into the church. It blew my mind. 
And so every year we would add to it. We'd do bouncy houses, and then we'd do a bigger bouncy house. And then we'd, we'd, we'd do one type of food, then we'd do another type of food. Then we'd get an artist to come. And then we had, we had a strong, we literally had a guy who like rips phone books. We did all that just to impress the kids. I'm, I'm not kidding. We did it all. We did carnival clowns. We did all this stuff, and we poured money into it, time, energy. And I could not understand why are we putting all this energy into reaching people and no one is coming? And there was a woman, her name was Lynette, Lynette Keys. Lynette Keys was 72 years old, and she was the first woman to ever come over to our church. Lynette Keys used to use a bre- uh, one of those breathing machines, but smoke cigarettes. And I remember I would walk into her house, and the smoke would be so strong. And I remember she began to cry. She'd say, Pastor, I just cannot smoke, stop smoking. And I'd pray with her. And then she came over to the church. And I remember seeing her, and I was so excited. She was the first person from that community to come over there. And I remember the night, the day that I baptized Lynette Keys, a 72-year-old woman who loves her Newports and her breathing machine. And I said, why don't we have more Lynette Keys coming to our church? What's, what's the problem? And so the next year, and, and you got to remember, I thought I was going to live in Raleigh, North Carolina the rest of my life. Because I loved it. We had a three-bedroom house. We were raising our kids out there, driveway. I was like, this is it. This is what you aim for. This is what New Yorkers dream of. It's called a house. And you have a driveway. <laughs> I know you've heard it. It's on the island of Long and of the island of Staten. <laughs> you've heard of these places. It's Wakanda, Staten Island, Long Island. All the dream locations and New Jersey. But we were, we, were, we were young urban professionals doing well in our jobs. We were making money and all that. We had a house. And, and so, you know, we, we're doing all these things. Anyway, point is, is that why, why, what's going on? And so one day, I, uh, the next year, uh, Natasha was pregnant. And so um, I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to be as involved this year. My wife's having a baby, and so we're, I'm just going to chat, I'm going to observe. And it was one of the best things that could ever happen to me. Because I made observations, and I sat back and I looked, and I, I realized the problem. We were doing it all. We were pouring soup. We were cutting hair. We were doing nails. We were doing all these different things for these kids. But the one thing we weren't doing were getting names. We didn't know names. They they would say, are we going to go over to River Birch? That was the name of the community. But we didn't know names. People. And I remember while I was talking with a group of leaders at the church, they said, you know, next year we'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll bring trucks in and we'll, we'll maybe some, you know, we'll do something bigger and better. And I said, I have come to the realization it is not trying to get bigger and better. We are not going to entertain people into the kingdom. We have to get these people's names. We have to meet people. Well, I'm an introvert. That's what I would hear. And I'm like, God reached us. Somehow we got to break through and just know, know one name. If you're an introvert, know one name by the end of the time. Meet one person. But meet somebody. Because we, you know, and I was telling them, we, we're, we're, we exist as a church to reach people. Come on, you know. And I was trying to talk to them. And so that night I went home frustrated. I was laying in bed. And I said to my wife, Natasha, I said, baby, so crazy. They, you know, it's like, it's like the community's right there, and it's like there's a moat in between us, and it's like, man, they're they're never going to come. They're never going to just walk over. It's like there needs to be a bridge that gets them over there. I said, you know, I said, you know what? 
if I ever started a church, I'd call it Bridge Church. Because I'd always want people to know we're about reaching people. She was like, yeah, go to bed. So, because we weren't going to leave Raleigh. We weren't leaving Chick-fil-A, no. No. Those two pickles have an anointing. So, 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 th- so that was, that. But, but I had this burden to not just be a church, and it didn't matter how much we were growing. I was grieved when I felt like we weren't actually reaching people that wouldn't go to church. I didn't like this feeling of trying to be a better church. I actually get, I get frustrated when people, you know, when, when people are like, man, you know, they're comparing churches, and it's so weird, and, and trying to get other people from other churches. God's called us to be fishers of men, to go out. We're fish. It, it's like if, you're, if we're not fishers of men, then we are bringing a fishing rod to the aquarium where people are already caught, right? So the point is not to get people who are already known the Lord. The point is people that I didn't have a church or I couldn't find a church or I couldn't figure things out and, and I found your church. And then when I hear that, my heart is just so warm. Not to say if you were in a bad situation, that's not a thing, but I'm just telling you that is why we exist and that is why God called us to start a church. And that was my burden. And so I never imagined moving to New York City of all places. Who do you know has three kids and is like, yo, let's move to New York? No one does that. <laughs> and so it was this calling from God to move to the city, to start a church. And as, as we began to do this church, I began to reflect back on my life. Because the reason why we have a unique DNA is because God has given me a vision for what is to be. And that vision comes from my burden, from what God has called me to do. That is why it's so important. When someone leads something, it's important you know the vision. That's why the Bible says make it plain so that the people can follow it because not everybody's a visionary. And if there's other people in your church that have another vision, two visions is division. So there's one vision. There's many people, one vision. And God just so happened to call me to be that visionary. And it's birthed out of my story and what God has enabled me to see. My father um, and my parents were born in Moss Point, Mississippi. And my dad... um, was the first black man to graduate from Millsaps College. Millsaps College is known as as a private school in Jackson, Mississippi. He's the only African-American in his class, and yet he scored the highest on the GRE. When they were looking for the person that scored the highest on on the campus, they walked around, many students walked around looking for who did it, who, who scored the highest. And they were in class, and they would say, you know, was it you? Was it you? Was it you? And they overlooked my dad. And one day, two young ladies who had went throughout the entire class trying to figure out who is this person with the highest score, they walked up to my dad and said, JT, were you the one with the score? And he said, yes. My father was a trendsetter and is a trendsetter. And so... Changing his life, in 1968, he moved to New York, worked for IBM, Big Blue at the time. IBM was what Apple is, or Samsung, or go through whatever emotions you need to go through (laughs) to figure out your allegiance. But at the time, Apple, I'm sorry, IBM was the big computer company. And my dad got recruited by them. He was working on two master's degrees, but something had happened to him. He was in a small church in Mississippi. He had seen one pastor after another manipulate people, and he decided to become an atheist. So my father, sometimes lightning would strike, thunderstorm, and my mom would begin to pray. 
And my dad, while she would pray, he'd make fun of her. My dad would always think this was the silliest thing to do, going to church. And then, in 1969, they had my sister, Cassie, my oldest sister. And when Cassie was born, my father was holding her, and he thought to himself, this is different. There there might be a God. He was wrestling, 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 wrestling in his mind. And my mom was saying, well, baby, come on to church. I I want Cassie to grow up in church, just like we did. And so my dad, because he wanted his kids to be moral, decided to bring them to church. And so he brought my sister Cassie to church, and my dad, being a gregarious person, decided to meet some people in church and get to know them, although he doesn't believe anything he's hearing. And then they said, JT, why don't you join the choir? My dad can't sing. (laughs) They said, okay. So he joins the choir. But he joins the choir because he just wants to meet people and go to choir rehearsal and wear a robe and all that stuff. (laughs) And so my dad joins the choir. And then one day they say, JT, why don't you do a solo? Well, in some churches, singing a solo is not about how good you can sing. It's about your, how much you love God or whatever the case may be. But they had him sing a solo. So the solo was, I want to be a Christian in my heart. That was the name of the song. And so there my father was. And he he gets up there. Mind you, behind the scenes, there's so much happening in his heart, but no one knows that. My father grabs the mic, and he gets up. The piano player's over there. He starts to play. My father starts to say, I want to be a Christian. But he broke down there in the pulpit, and he couldn't get in my heart out. Right there in 1969, my father gave his life to Christ. By 1976, he would have me, and by 1982, my father would be getting his master's degree in divinity, and then by 1992, my father would be getting his PhD. So my father went from being an atheist to becoming a dean of a seminary. And that is what I grew up seeing. I grew up hearing those stories. And the amazing thing that I believe that God gave me a vision for without me knowing, without me realizing, is that he built in me a belief that anyone can change. And that if you are here today, where you are does not mean where you will stay. Because if an atheist Making fun of Christians can become a dean of a seminary. What does that say about you? And so that was the beginning of my vision of seeing anyone have the potential for growth, change, and transformation. Do you know anybody can change? I mean, sometimes, sometimes you know, we'll, we'll be in meetings and we'll, we'll get frustrated with people. And we'll be like, man, this person is just the same and they keep doing things. And sometimes it's so important as I lead my staff and as we, as we lead the church that you need to tell stories of transformation so that you don't, you don't ever forget that the Holy Spirit can powerfully break yokes and transform people. You'll actually define people by the season they're in, not by by the Holy Spirit inside of them. And you'll forget God can change anybody. I mean, where people are is not where they always will be. And so um, there was a young lady, I'll never forget, she used to come to our office when we were at LIU Brooklyn. She used to come to our office every day, it seemed. And when she came to our office, she would begin to tell us about her life and who she was. 
And then she started to tell us, like, you know, Pastor James, and, you know, um, I try to tell people to be honest with me, and then for some people that's super dangerous because they really are honest. And so she's like, you know, I want to be real with you. Right now, I feel like, I feel like these guys are out here on campus and they can do whatever they want sexually. They can be with two, two people, three people. And I just feel like I just want to live my sexual freedom too. I was like, okay, so how can I help? She's like, I just want to tell you. I just want to be vulnerable. I just want to be real with you. And I just remember thinking, like, why is she telling me this? But, but I would sit there and I would hear it. And every week she would come in my office telling me her sexual exploits of the weekend. Now, that would feel awkward by a guy or a girl. It's just like, why are you telling a pastor? I, did, I never could understand that. So here I am hearing about everything she's doing. But it really wasn't just about her story. It was that the guys were making fun of her. You see, I, I, I've lived on a campus. I've been that guy. I know he will whisper sweet nothings in her ear, but then talk about her like a dog when she walks away. I know that story. And I would see those guys. I've been in those frats. And so she would meet with me so much, it was like she became a daughter to me, and it broke my heart. And, and I'm telling you, every time she came in my office, I remember I would sit there and think to myself, Lord, help her. Help her. I just, I don't know what to say anymore. And all I heard the Lord saying is just sit and listen and pray. And so the one thing I would do is I would listen to her stories and I'd pray when she leaves. And it'd be an hour and a half, sometimes two hours. Two hours. <laughs> and there just came a point where I just said, Lord, I don't even know what to say anymore. This young lady one day then told me, I'm, I'm moving to Philly. I'm going to transfer colleges. I'm going to go to Temple University. And I remember thinking, Lord, have mercy. She is about to be turned. Just, just, Lord, just protect her from herself. Now, mind you, just, just so I, I can be clear, uh, it's not just because she's a woman. I'd be grieved if this was a guy too. I think anyone who is sacrificing the sacredness and the sanctity of sexuality just for a night, I think you're ruining what God's designed. That was a commercial break. That was just for, that was, that was for somebody. Just, I don't know who. But, but what, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I was like, she's in my office, so I'll pray and I'll, I'll love her where she's at, I guess. Last year, in October, I went to this conference. And while I was at the conference in Philly, I walked in the door and a young lady handed me a flyer. And I was, was walking in, and it was her. And I was like, what are you doing here? And she was like, this is my church. And I was like, you're in church? She's like, yeah, I'm in, I came to Temple, and, and this is my church, and I'd love to tell you the story. And so we didn't get a chance to talk, and so the next morning they had prayer at this conference. And I went to the prayer time, and she was at prayer time, the early morning prayer time. So you know the Holy Spirit was working. <laughs> so she's at this early morning prayer with me, and I couldn't get a chance to talk to her. And then, you know, we, they were just praying for the conference. And while she was praying, she starts telling her story. She says, Lord, thank you for... <clears throat> she said, thank you for Pastor James. Because... I would, I would go in his office and say the craziest things. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would say the craziest things. And she says, she's, I mean, she's praying this. She's, I would say the craziest things. And, Lord, there are people like that in this room that are going to come in here. And she, and she said, I pray that people would be patient with her. Like Pastor James was patient with me, not to use myself in any way. And, and then she, um, we got done praying, and I hugged her, and I said, so what are you doing now? She leads a purity ministry on campus. Wow. 
And I said, what, what? She says, yeah, I believe God's using my sexual brokenness to heal other people now. And I am now trying to launch a second campus on a neighboring school. And I, I broke down. Not just because we, not just because she's doing all these great things, but I remember how, fatig- how fatigued I was. And I was like, God, you used that? You used all those times when I didn't know what was going on? And then I started to think, how many stories do I not know? How much fruit have I not seen? How many seeds have I sown that I didn't get to see the fruit born? It made me just realize that people truly matter and matter to God and how we spend time with them matters. And so the reality of reaching people is not only something that I've seen in my past growing up, but I've also seen it bear fruit in ministry. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have your Bible, you can look there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. It says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus No longer. The first part of that, what Paul is saying is, when people saw Jesus, the first thing they saw was this blue-collar carpenter who was Joseph's son, his Joseph's boy. And they regarded him as just a lowly 30-year-old man. But they saw him totally different when they saw who he was spiritually. So who he was physically, i.e. in the flesh, was one thing. But who he was spiritually would then define him. And what he goes on to say is, therefore, if we're going to regard them, him no, that way no longer, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And what the Bible says is that when you come into a relationship with Christ Jesus, just as he was regarded one way in the flesh, when, you, when, when he was resurrected, we saw him differently. When he showed off his divine power, we saw him differently. In the same way, when the Spirit of God comes into your life, you, we are now to see each other spiritually, not physically, not where you're from or or, or how you sound, or how you grew up, or none of those things define you. We see each other spiritually. And he says, the old has passed away. And all things are new. And that is vitally important for who we are as a church. But it is even more important for your own identity. Because the the ghosts of people's past keep them from having a thriving future. And it's as if people are driving down the road always looking in the rearview mirror, not allowing themselves to go in the future. (laughs) Oh, saints, I love having a church of four years because you get to tell some of the same stories over and over again. Some people hate it. Some people love it. Praise God. So so some of you know I I was a bouncer in the club on it. feels so awkward. <laughs> Can we just pretend like y'all haven't heard that before? Okay, all right, let's. All right. So I was a bouncer in a club at this uh, club called Blue Fox, and um, <laughs> which is true. It's all true. It's true. It's my story. Respect my story. Um, but the next year on campus, we were handing out flyers, and everybody from the club was going to school. And I used to smoke every day on the campus. And people knew me for being in my frat, Omega Sci-Fi, 
People knew me for playing football, and people knew me for bouncing in the club. So that next year, I was handing out flyers. And I will never forget, it was a girl named Marilyn from Texas. <laughs> and I handed her a flyer, and she threw it out. And I overheard her as she was walking away. Now, my nickname was Bump. That's what people called me. And I'm, that's another story. Can I be vulnerable, please? So, so I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. She got the flyer. She got the flyer. She threw it out, and I heard her say, what's Bump going to tell me about Jesus? And I remember how discouraged I was. And I thought the same thing. What am I going to tell these people about Jesus? I was, the, I was leading people to weed. I was the first one you saw at the beginning of the night of the club, the last one you see when you left. I was the loudest one in the frat. And I was like, Lord, why would you use me? I've been the worst one on campus. And there was a man who spoke into my life and said, God knew that before the foundation of the world that you would do those things. And God and you have been of a trumpet for immorality, and now you will be a trumpet for him. And you, you were, yes, you were loud in the club. Now you're going to be loud for Jesus. And you used to, and I mean, I'd, I'd give, I mean, I'd give guys advice, really bad advice. <laughs> and God used that same skill and gifting of wisdom to speak into people's lives. And I needed people around me to tell me who I was in Christ. I needed, in other words, I needed people in my life to keep the old, old. And I needed people in my life to make the new, new. I needed that. And they pressed me forward. And so the next day I handed out more flyers, more flyers, more flyers. And I remember Cisco and Daryl, my line brothers, come into my Bible study. I remember Patricia from the club. I remember uh, Tim Carpenter from my football team, the strong safety. And I remember them all packing in. And they said, James, I know you don't, you don't know a lot of Bible, so just give your testimony. So I got up there and I gave my testimony. And I remember Patricia came up to me after and she said, Bump, you saved? <laughs> I was like, yes. She said, I would have never come to this Bible study if you weren't here. And so I just kept leading and kept leading and kept leading. And I remember when Patricia gave her life to Christ. I remember when Daryl gave his life to Christ. And I remember seeing lives change. And it was at that point where I was like, when I was leading that church in Raleigh, I was like, I want to go back to when ministry was fresh when we were really reaching people. And that's what caused us, February 6th of 2013, to move to New York City when we did not know a soul. And to walk these streets right here and to trust God to start a church. And it was a daunting task. We moved into a, essentially a shoebox. We're paying thousands of dollars of rent. And, and, and we're doing all this because we want to reach people. I remember the night that Yvonne came up to me and she says, I met this guy on the train. He is amazing. And, you know, I'm, who is he? She's like, his name is Carvins. He's so cool. I was like, Chill. He's like, no, his name is Carvins. I, I was handing out flyers for our event. We did this event called Love, Everything You Want to Know About Love, Sex, and Dating. And I was handing out this flyer, and I just felt God was doing something. I was handing out the flyer, and I was getting on a train, and he was on the same train, and I got off the train, and he got off at the same place, and we got into a conversation, and you got to meet this guy, Carvins. I was like, all right. And so Carvins, this guy Carvins, who was at St. John's University, ends up coming to our Bible study. And I ended up meeting his girlfriend, Leslie. We met over at Starbucks. And he was like, yeah, we're, we're trying to figure things out, go to church. I, 
you know, and, and then Leslie told me the, the pastor she had in Wisconsin. I knew him, and we had a good relationship. And, and Carvins gets involved in our church, and we start discipling them, both Carvins and Leslie. And then I start doing premarital counseling with them, and then I do their wedding. And then he, I remember the night he came to Bible study and said, y'all, pray for me. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get into an acting school, but, man, I'm trusting the Lord that I can get into an acting school, but I can't afford it. I'm going to need a full scholarship. No, that, I mean, really full. Y'all know Carvins. He's crazy. <laughs> I can't pretend to be him. But he, he was like, I really can't afford it. And then a week later, he got a full scholarship from the Tisch School, NYU. And I remember him coming, and I remember us clapping and being like, yes, oh, Carvins. And, and so we see his wedding, and then we see him go to NYU, full scholarship. And then about a year ago, I remember going to Shake Shack with him. And I remember him being so concerned. What am I going to do after school? I, I got to find a job. I don't know where I'm going to find a job. And I was like, man, trust the Lord. He's like, nah, I don't know where I'm going to find a job. <laughs> and so we prayed together. And then one night, my wife and I were out here having a little date night. And we ran into Carvin's and Leslie. And he said, man, come here. I can't make a big announcement. Come here. I got a job. I was like, oh, okay, you know, like, what, what, like, you like a, what are you, like, the, the treat, like, or what are you, like, in the background? What do you, what do you do? <laughs> you know, just, but I didn't know, I figured when you graduate, you don't get the good jobs. You feel me? So he's like, he's like, um, he's like, I, 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 I booked a gig, man. He, he, pull, he pulled me real close. He said, I'm on Hamilton. And so I didn't, I knew Hamilton was a big deal, but I figured he was like one of the background dancers, like kind of like, you know, doing something in the background. And I was lit about that. I was excited that he was going to be gyrating for the Lord <laughs> on Hamilton. And then he got us tickets. Well, got us a discount. But we went. But we went. And then he was one of the main people. He was George Washington. And then he walked out. And he looked at me. <laughs> And I remember, I was like, I remember when this dude was trying to figure out what he was going to do after college. And that has been the story of my life. That I have names. You see what just happened there? Names. And I've, I've shared with you some good stories. I got some horror stories too. But I have names. And I want you to have that. Names. And I don't care about your personality. I don't care about your background. I don't care if you're extrovert or introvert. God has created you for names. Names. People. You don't have to be a people person to love people. People. Names. And so the scripture goes all on to say in 2 Corinthians 18, 21, he says, and all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I, I, I don't have no time to get deep into that. But if you've been at our church for any amount of time, you know that we try to do community well and we try to talk about conflict a lot and we, talk, we try to talk about confronting one another and loving one another. But the reason why I believe we must continue to do well at that because the Bible says we have a ministry of reconciliation. 
And that, that is, he says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and trust, entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. So what it says is that the God of the universe had a problem with us. So he sent his son to die in order to be reconciled back to man. And he says, therefore, we have this ministry of reconciliation. So we should be able to put reconciliation on display for the world. So it doesn't make sense when two Christians can't work it out over toothpaste. It just doesn't, it just boggles my mind when Christians cannot work things out. Now, I can understand that they slapped you in the mouth. I can understand they stole a thousand. I mean, there's some hard things. But our ministry is a ministry. Our message is a message of reconciliation. The Bible says that the world will be drawn to us by our love for one another. That's, that's, again, that's a whole other message, but that's why we work so hard for that. Because it doesn't, if you reach people and you have the same kind of family drama that they grew up in, what is appealing about that? It's like, well, people gossip, backbite, and hate on you. <laughs> Seems like the world to me. Everything that I've experienced already. Our community must be a preview of heaven. And so this is a message of reconciliation. But this is where I just want to land. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We, us, you and I, who me? Yes, you. Wherever you're at today with the Lord, he has called you to be an ambassador for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The last part I could preach about all day, but the fact that he's reconciled us and made us righteous in him is what causes us such great joy, because no matter what we do, he will always bring us back into him, because we now now have his righteousness. But look what it says. God is making his appeal through us. That's God's plan A, me and you. And every now and then, I want to consult the Lord and give him some advice. There's a better way to reach the world than people because people are inconsistent. People are, they vacillate, they're back and forth. You can't, you know, they're one day this way. One, people are difficult to deal with. Why would he use people? I, I find a lot of ways. You can reach people a lot of different ways. You don't need to use people. But God in his sovereignty felt that what would be the best representation of him on earth would be to get a collection of people who are submitting to his will to put him on display. God is trying to appeal to the world through me and you. That's his plan. Don't that blow your mind? Isn't that crazy? God wants to persuade the world through me and you. And so that that word, God making his appeal, the word appeal means to persuade. God wants to persuade the world. And the word in the Greek is the word parakaleo. Parakaleo. And it essentially means to come alongside in order to appeal. To come alongside in order to appeal. And so if we are going to appeal to the world, it does not mean that we get out front as to be superior to them. It does not mean we get behind as to be inferior to them. But it means we come alongside as to appeal to them. And in coming alongside, we persuade and we adjust. Um, Obviously, many of you have seen Black Panther, praise the Lord. Wakanda, forever. 
I, I chose not to watch any of the trailers because trailers now are like five minutes long and you basically see the entire movie before you even see the movie. But I got a whiff of the trailer after I saw the movie. And I was like, this is incredible. And have you ever seen a trailer where you were just like, I ain't going to see that? You know, just like, I remember there was a movie called Pootie Tang that came out. I was like, who would want to see Pootie Tang? Why would anybody spend their money to see a movie called Pootie Tang? I mean, I just, I'm sorry. The trailer could be lit. I'm not going to see that. This preview of spending my money and my time for an hour and a half to see Pootie Tang, I didn't feel like the Lord called me to that. But this idea of being a trailer is just having a small window into a greater experience. And we are called to be a trailer of heaven. So when people come here on a Sunday and they come to our city groups and they experience us, people want more. But, you know, trailers are intended to be appealing. And so... In order to reach people, we have to adjust to where people think they are, not where we think they are. We must be persuasive and love and be patient and care. That's who we are as a church. We will never be anything different. We will always be a church that is intended to reach people, all types of people, so that we can be patient with them and grow with them and celebrate their story as they grow. That's who we are. And so a couple things I need to make clear. We always say our mission is to connect people to God, grow them with family, and serve our city. One of the things that we have found that we need to make sure we understand is that there is an overarching purpose that causes us to have that mission. And so we today are going to learn our purpose statement together. Y'all ready? Y'all excited? I can feel it. Our purpose statement is to reach people where they are and help them grow. Now, I love, I love that statement because it doesn't necessarily say we're going to help them grow spiritually or we're going to help them grow uh, economically. We're just going to help them grow wherever they are and in entirely different ways. But we are going to reach people. Would you repeat that with me? Reach people on three. One, two, three. We are going to reach people. Yes, I want a building. And yes, that building broke my heart. And I feel like that building is like a, a, I mean, I'm married, but it feels like a girl that broke up with me and is like with another dude. And they're on like Instagram together and taking pictures. And that, because I live right by the building, I'm like, I'm going through some emotions with it, but God's dealing with me with that. But, but we were never about reaching buildings. It's always been about names. We'll always be about names. And see, when you come into our church, we're trying to reach you. But once you're at our church for a while, we need you to start reaching people. Because if you are here so you can just get fat off the word and you just love the word and I need more word, there's, there are better Bible teachers out there. If that is your dream, please, that's not what we're about. We're about reaching people. Names. Names. But it gets more challenging. Because we don't want to just reach people who are already pre-packaged and cool. We want to reach them where they are. That means they might come in with their frustrations and their anxieties. They may work your nerves. They may wear you down. In fact, I believe God sends people in your life to work your nerves to grow you up in the Lord. I mean, I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is God sovereignly before the foundation of the world allowed that person to have that issue to be in your life so you could grow up. 
And it's not enough to say, you know, she just, she just talked too much. It's not enough to say, that guy, he's just crazy. It's not enough to say, I wish that person would just leave me alone. Because at that point, you're not concerned about where they are. There is a story behind their issues. When my dad was an atheist, he used the word atheist, but the real story was that he had a broken heart about all the churches and the pastors that never lived out the dream he thought a pastor should be, not realizing God had given them the seed to be a pastor, and that's why he was so frustrated every time he was failed by pastors. That's where my dad actually was. And it took patience and time to reach him where he was. And so we can't let the first chapter, we can't let the first impression of people define them. We can't let the first time someone bothers us define them. We can't let the first time a church hurts us define the church. Where they are where they are. On three, would you repeat that with me? One, two, three. Where they are. And here's the last part. Help them grow. You know, it'd be a shame if Carvins came to me and said, you know, man, I'm trying to figure out the school thing. It's like, well, man, I'm here for Bible study, so, you know, if you're not here to talk about the Bible, then I ain't got no time. What he needed was somebody to just sit with him and pray with him about getting into school. And there are other of you, others of you. One of the things our pastor, Josh Edney, he does is he, sit, he spends time with our people working on a budget. <laughs> Praise God. Working on a budget. And Josh, Josh asks a lot of penetrating questions. So just allow yourself to be financially naked. And he holds you to that budget. But some of us, where we are, some of us are spiritually deep, but we're financially a mess. And so if we're going to reach you where you are, we can't just be satisfied with you showing up on Sunday. It means we got to get into each other's lives. But I got to know if I'm going to help you grow. And so that's why we try, when we preach, we try to always work towards obedience and application. Because I do not believe growth is the fact that you memorize or know a Bible verse. Growth is when you're doing it. That would be like memorizing the directions to a location, but having never gone. It's not enough for you to know. Growing means you're walking. And so it gets harder because we want to help people grow. On three, would you say help them grow? On three, one, two, three, help them grow. Now let's put it all together. We want to reach people where they are and help them grow. We want to reach people where they are and help them grow. We want to reach people. Our purpose is to reach people where they are and help them grow. Could you put it all together on three? One, two, three. Reach people where they are and help them grow. Every Sunday you're going to hear that. And then who's ever emceeing will say, and how we do that, is we connect them to God, grow them in family, and have them serve our city. That's our mission. Connect to God, grow with family. Once, to get you to grow, our strategy, our mission to get you to grow is to have you come to a Sunday service and hear Mark lead you into intimacy. Pray that the word touches your heart. And then we want you to grow with family and community and we want you to serve. That's our mission. And so... This final announcement is, in, in light of not getting this building, there are some implications to that. Today, we have people standing in the back 
and we have some seats up here, but again, these seats are evil or something, so, um, but we are running out of seats. And so we have decided as a church that not only in order to reach more people, but honestly to make more room, we will be adding a 6 p.m. service. This 6 p.m. service will have an implication on us. Four o'clock service will actually start at four o'clock. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise his holy name. Yeah, he's good. He's mighty. Mighty to be saved. Um, We are actually going to start at four o'clock. And um, we will end our service at 5.30, the four o'clock service. And the 6 p.m. service will start right at six. This will be some stretching for our volunteers, but we are making sure that we have teams everywhere that will have enough people. The 6 p.m. service will have no bridge kids. So it will allow our bridge kids workers to come down to the 6 p.m. service if they feel so inclined. We will work with our worship team, we will work with our connect team, our setup and breakdown to make sure that we have everything in effect. But it is vitally important that you realize that the heart of that is to reach more people. This 6 p.m. service, I'm asking some of you to commit to that 6 p.m. service just like you would almost a new church. The 6 p.m. service may go up and down. Maybe in the summer it, 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 it may be harder. But we have to make room here. So I'm asking at least 30 of you to consider to making the 6 p.m. service your service. That that would be your time. That maybe you're a person where you like a tighter-knit community. But we on Easter will have a 6 p.m. service. And from there on out, we will have a 6 p.m. service. We are continuing to look for a building in Flatbush. The reality is is that a lot of the uh, places that we've looked have been challenging. In light of that, we have ramped up our activity. Uh, Our Do Justice ministry is now considering different ways where we can do canvassing so we can find out what are the needs of the community. Though we do not see a building in the immediate future, we see activity in the immediate future. And we will and continue to be committed to that community. But I say this not just for a 6 p.m. service. I say this because I believe the vision of our church, though it's articulated in a certain way, I am confident that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared beforehand. And all we got to do is walk in it. You don't have to run. You don't have to be something different. Just walk in it. And I'm asking you to join me in your calling to do God's work and latch hold of this purpose Latch hold of this mission. I'm not asking you to do th- something for the church. I'm doing it for your own calling. I pray that you would have many names that you've persuaded into the kingdom and you've persuaded in their life. Join us. Join us in this work. I pray that you would memorize that purpose statement and know our mission statement. And every decision that we make, know that's our why. That's our why. Every time. Why why do they do it? It was about reaching people. It's always about that. Always. It's about you living out your calling. I pray you join us in that. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We ask you, Jesus, that you would take this time that you've uniquely placed for us to reach people where they are and help them grow. Holy Spirit, I pray that our folks here today would sense this calling on their life. 
Holy Spirit, would you unleash the calling on these folks' lives? This is not about attending a service. This is about living out our calling. Father, would you unleash our people to live out the calling of God on their life? I pray that you would unleash our people to live out the calling of God in their life and help them to know that every person that they're around, that every neighborhood, that every job, that every city that they've been placed in is not just a city, it's a collection of names. Draw names to us, God. Oh, when you draw names, you'll draw issues to us, God. You'll draw trials to us, God. You'll draw burdens to us, God. You'll draw confusion to us, God. And give us the patience to reach them where they are and help them grow. And then don't let our people just get fat. Don't let us just get comfortable. Don't let us get comfortable, God. Help us to keep striving. Help us to keep reaching. Help us to keep pushing, God. God, I pray we do not sacrifice the vitality of our people. I pray our people are overflowing. Don't allow our people to burn out, but allow them to be filled up. Would ministry just come from the overflow of our relationship with you, God? From the overflow of our relationship with you, God. Holy Spirit, burn this on our hearts and use us. If there is someone tonight, God, that they're in their hearts, they're saying, God, choose me. Pick me. I want to be everything you wanted me to be. God, I pray for that person right now. You're saying, choose me. I want to be everything. God, shower them with your presence. Shower them with your power and unleash them. In the mighty name of Jesus, we We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.